Welcome to HR Futures Podcast, uh, brought to you by Expedite HR, the people behind Circal and Working Futures. The series is also supported by Zealous, the UK's largest HR and benefits provider. With me today is Jason Fowler, who is the HR Director uh, for UK and Ireland and Northern Europe at Fujitsu. Welcome, Jason. Um, Let's just start off by you telling us a little bit about your job, what you do, size of the business and, you know, your role. Right. Okay. So Fujitsu is the probably one of the largest companies that you've never heard of. In the, in the UK, we touch about 99% of people's lives because we run all of the IT infrastructure for major government institutions like HMRC, Ministry of Defence. We're also um, uh, key partners with companies like H&M, Royal Bank of Scotland. So we're an infrastructure and digital transformation technology services provider. You can probably glean from the name, Japanese headquartered. Uh, we've around 140,000 people globally. Around 100,000 of those are in Japan. Uh, and my role, as you mentioned, I'm HR director for the UK. So I have the statutory responsibilities for HR for Fujitsu in the UK. But I'm also head of HR for Northern and Western Europe, um, which means the HR directors for the other countries that Fujitsu has in Northern and Western Europe, they report into me. So I have that dual role. Okay. And, and tell us how many people, just to give us some idea of scale, do you have in the UK and how many across Northern Europe? We're around 7,000 in the UK. And we're about 15,000 across Northern and Western Europe in total. Okay. And in terms of turnover, I mean, it must be, a, it's a fair old size of an organisation to have 140,000 employees, did yes. you say? Yes. So uh, in, just in Northern and Western Europe, we're a 3 billion um, uh, turnover company. Um, and, uh, and we are, uh, well, we're actually growing, which is one of the challenges that a lot of our organisations in our sector have faced. You know, how do they make the shift in the era of total technology, what's the place for the traditional technologists? Yeah. So that's one of the challenges that we face, and I guess that might be one of the. Things I'm sure we'll, we'll get today. into that. So tell us, let's go right the way back to your beginning of your career. Tell us, you know, how did you get into HR? Was it something that you? I'm fascinated by this question, by the way, because I'm, 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 I think I've, of all my interviews, there's only ever been one person that said at university. Right. I, I, I thought I'd like to be an HR. You know, yeah. most people say, well, I sort of started doing this and doing that, and then this opportunity came along or whatever. But tell us about your journey. How did you get into HR? Right. Well, uh, it was a conscious decision to not get into HR. Uh, and um, so how it started was when I left university, I did business studies. I only chose business studies because I wasn't sure of what I wanted to do. I thought that'd give me some options. I actually wanted to do philosophy. But on the uh, day of getting my results, my dad persuaded me that you know <laughs> philosophy graduates may or may not have the best job prospects. So I went and did business studies. At the end of that, again, wasn't sure what it was that I wanted to do. Didn't have a particular vocation. And, um, and so I moved into recruitment. So I went into recruitment and... It, I was one of those people that phones you up and says, would you like to talk about your recruitment opportunities? Have you got a preferred supplier list? How long did you do that for? How long did you do the recruitment stuff? Three and a half years. Okay. So a fair stint. And you're obviously quite good at it because if you don't, you're not very good at that, you don't last in recruitment. It's one yep. of those industries where, you know, you're no, up around. True, true. Um, so it was, it was reasonably successful and relatively early on in my career, it paid quite well. So yeah. that was one of the appealing aspects of it as well. But what I didn't think is that this was going to be for me indefinitely. I, did, I, I could see that if you're in recruitment, you do important stuff. Yep. But ultimately, you do a version of the same thing throughout the duration of your career. Now, one of my biggest customers at the time was a company called EDS. Big okay, American I remember company, it. Yeah, yeah. Subsequently taken over by HP. Now, uh, they were my biggest customer. 
and they asked me if I would, in effect, switch sides. So would I move across and take up a, a role managing some of their resourcing? So it was a resourcing role, so it was a not right. natural move across. Yeah, natural segue across. So I worked there on the DWP account, which is a big applications transformation program at the time, um, and also on ABN AMRO. Um, which oh, is a, a brand bank. that you don't hear much of anymore. Of course, it got so. took got took over by RBS. That's didn't right. It? Yeah, yeah. Um, may not have been the best acquisition at the best time for RBS, but uh, that's what happened. Yes. Um, and so I was working uh, a lot down here in London, a lot of it in the northeast in Newcastle, Long Benton. Oh, okay. Um, and across at Lytham as well, so not far from where I'm based in Manchester. And uh, and a chap I'd worked for actually. Um, a, 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 Big bear American chap, uh, uh, Dave McGee. He moved to Fujitsu. We used to call them ICL Fujitsu still. And so, oh yeah, uh, I, I, uh, Fujitsu had only recently acquired ICL then, and um, uh, and he said, "There's a role here. I think you might be suitable for it." So I applied for it. And was that out. still a resourcing role, or was that still your... resourcing? Okay. Yeah, so resourcing. Once I joined Fujitsu, quite a while ago, 2005, I then um, took on that role. A couple of years, became head of recruitment. And then um, segued into a generalist HR role as a business partner. So, t- t- just tell me a bit about. It. So, when you was in the recruitment role or the internal resourcing role, did you always see yourself career-wise sort of progressing to a generalist HR role, or did you, you know, because people always have this argument about specialist and generalist and all of that? So, I'm just interested in your take on it. I didn't. I did not see myself moving into HR. So, I was in a. I wasn't in HR, not even as a specialist then. We're part of the business function. Um, it was workforce planning, which naturally yeah. nowadays you think is in HR, wasn't at Fujitsu yeah. then. And uh, and, and our, my role family, and we like to have those, don't we, as a, yeah. as a service delivery manager. So I expected that I would be moving into a career that had bigger teams, but had service management responsibility, not HR. Okay. And and how's it been for you? Do you, you know, now, I suppose, another mm, 10, 12 years on... Uh, you're still at Fujitsu, but yes. clearly progressed in terms of your career. You've had a number of roles and taken on more responsibility. Um, do you perceive yourself as being HR or are you still a resourcer pretending to be a generalist? <laughs> I'm definitely HR. Okay. So 100% HR. And also, this is where I'd expect to spend the remainder of my career. I think the move into HR for me has been phenomenal. It's given me a breadth of experience and the types of opportunities that I've got that I just don't think you get in other parts of organizations. So I think HR has something that for those outside of it, perhaps they don't quite appreciate until you're really on the inside of the function and you start to see the sort of interesting but also really meaningful stuff that HR gets involved in. Okay, so tell me, I thought that was quite interesting, that bit about uh, the breadth. You know, what, what is it that you think HR sees or has the opportunity to influence that you most probably perhaps when you first thought about it as a career or when you're in resourcing roles has been a bit of a surprise or a bit of a revelation hmm. yeah well so i'd say there's probably two broad categories of that so firstly you get to see the side of people that often they don't show so there is a version of ourselves that we all tend to bring to work and, and it you know it in most people, there is some resemblance to their actual self. Some people, you think, I don't you know, I yeah, yeah, recognize yeah. them outside of work. Um, but you get to see people who are in positive uh, circumstances at the point of transition in their career. Maybe they've taken a promotion. Maybe they're looking for their yeah, own yeah. development. So you get to help people on an individual level become, you know, realize their potential. Yeah. You also see them when they're in some of the most extraordinarily difficult circumstances that each of us faces. You know, maybe yeah, yeah. they've lost a loved one. Maybe they've got tr- trouble and difficulties with their children. Maybe they're experiencing health challenges. 
So what HR does in those situations is really, really meaningful. So it makes a difference on an individual level. And in the second category, I think there's a, there's a privilege that you get from being in HR is that it can put you at the center of the business at a very senior level. And you can become central if you choose to. You can either be at the center as an observer or you can become central if HR becomes more assertive. Um, and you can become central to actually the strategic direction, the genuine strategic direction of the organization that you're a part of. So you get to see, I think, that that very diverse lens from individual and how you influence and affect their lives, not yeah. just their careers, but also to be right at the heartbeat of how the company works. I want to follow up on that because I think that's interesting as well. So... In terms of the strategic role, being at the centre of the business, you know, and, and that analogy that you drew, you can either be passive and an observer, or you can play an active role. Just tell me about, you know, I don't know. Just give, you know, talk about. Presumably, you've played an active role. You've certainly progressed in in the organisation. They must value what you bring to the party. So, tell us what does that look like? You know, playing a really assertive, strategic role in terms of looking at you know, how the business competes and some of the yeah. big decisions, not, you know, just yeah. the HR stuff. Well, so if I use Fujitsu, as we are at the moment, as we make that um, transition from the technology, the traditional technology company, let's call it that, and and, and in most organisations, the technology department was quite separate, wasn't it? You know? yeah, and yeah, the yeah. technology providers were taught to that department, to the CIO. Yeah. Nobody else had to trouble themselves with it. At the moment, what isn't technology? So we're, everything is, is now disrupted or influenced or actually just become technology in every sector. So the challenge that organizations like Fujitsu has is actually how do you go from being a specialist partner to being a business transformation partner? So how, does, how do you reposition yourselves, not as a partner mm. only for infrastructure, but also we understand, we can talk to the C-suite about actually the business outcomes they're expecting from technology. Now, bringing that back to That's HR quite a big shift, isn't it? Huge. That, that sounds like, you know, different capabilities, different operating models. This isn't just a hire a few different people. This is quite a fundamental strategic shift, isn't it? So you're exactly right, Kevin. That, and that is the challenge in front of us. And so there's, there's a couple of options for me and for HR, for my function, is that we always, you know, as a profession, talk about having a seat at the table. There's always a seat at the table for HR. By default, you know, whether you listen to quite whether what influence you have is very different from whether you've got a seat at the table. Now, the transition my organization is making is going from a provider of things to a provider of things and a partner that can help our customers and governments uh, mm. see mitigate the yeah. threats, grab the opportunities of digitalization. And all that is, is, is based on the people and capabilities that we have. So it's no longer about here's the specific product that we have that differentiates the organization. It's actually how do we form deep relationships with our customers, understand their business, have the people, skills and capabilities that they need us mm. to provide them with. So we can not only deliver technology outcomes, but we can say, well, so what? What does it mean? And what does it what might it mean mm. so that we can help their business transform? And that is all about how does HR, how do I create the right environment, the right employee experience, the right proposition to bring talent in from the market, the right pathway so that we can build rather than just buy talent. And how do we create that mindset within our organization that it is a a matter of uh, learn, do, learn, do, and repeat. It's no longer a case of learn a skill and then that see you through maybe with a slight change as you get more senior to the end of your career. So there is a major, I'm wary of this word, but culture shift that's required but there's a big difference in the way that we operate. So we need a different mm. operating model. And we are all about 
uh, uh, people's skills and capabilities. And, and, and so uh, how far into this shift are you? Are you sort of at the beginning, the conceptual bit, or have you been deploying some of this change? I mean, you talked about culture, you talked about employee experience, you talked about different capabilities, different operating models. Yep. I mean, this is, you know, this is organisational transformation. So how far into that are you? We're into it, so we're beyond concept. Um, we are quite some way from being able to declare victory, and I don't think anybody's <laughs> going to be able to do that. I think it's going to be an ongoing, yeah. you won't get to your finished state and no. say, there it is for the next 10 years. Um, so, so we're in the midst of it, and it's yeah. a. Uh, I guess I'd compare it to we're sort of trying to change the tire as we drive the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that that that's that's the challenge in front of us. We've got to keep the thing running successfully. We can't jeopardize the reputation that we've got. We can't jeopardize the services we provide. We also don't want our employees to our colleagues to feel as though we're talking only about the future and them not necessarily yeah. thinking they've got a part in it. So we've got to be able to do two things at once: continue successfully as the organization that we are, but simultaneously create a transformed version of the organization. And we can only do that to the people that we've got. And what do you think the, the most central part of that from an HR or people perspective has been? What's the thing that you think is the sort of golden thread that you've been focusing on? Um, I don't think there's one. Okay. I don't think there's one. But, uh, um, I think there's the, the, the two, the two big fights. One of which is that that skills and capabilities piece, and how do you? We've got to change that mindset. I think there's a there tends to be in organisations, especially when there's something complicated and new, sort of an addiction to experience. We all feel more comfortable if the person that shows has up done has done it before. The reality is, you, there just aren't Enough the number people. of people out there. So unless you create, if you start to build rather than just buy that capability, you break that addiction to experience, and that is a a very easy thing to put on PowerPoint it's a very difficult thing to turn into reality because you've got to get momentum through your, your first and second line managers. Yeah, you've yeah. got to get a um, beyond concept and a sort of acceptance, visceral acceptance of this from your leadership team down. And then you've got to create the bow wave from your colleague of, base yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who've got to say, you know what, I, I see my part in this. This is no longer the company's going to come and tell me what skills I need and when I need them. Then they'll send me on a training course. I'll come back, then I'll start doing them. You know, we, we've each got to play a part yeah. in... You know, how do I create that next version of me? And if you do that across 7,000 people, you create that bow wave and then you start to get real energy behind it. Okay. So that's the big challenge. And then the second part, actually, the, how does it work? So how do you design your organization in such a way that what you want to achieve is actually not hindered by the way that you've set up the bureaucracy or the governance mm. or the old ways of working? How do you break that through? I've got a, a question, but we'll leave it. Let's just sort of look at your career and, and give you the opportunity to reflect, to, to look back, I suppose. So tell us about something that you're really proud of, the thing that you think actually, you know, look back and it may be a big intervention and transformation, whatever, it may be something you've already talked about. Tell us about, you know, why it was successful, you know, what you've learned from that and, and, and potentially what's repeatable, I suppose. Mm. Um, I'd say it was the... Um, the, the move that I made from being an HR business partner to being what was titled the service delivery director for HR in the UK. And that was as far back as 2011, I think. And what, is it, what does a service director do? So, yeah. yeah, so that's a, uh, a yeah, good question. And so the task ahead of me, we, we didn't have at Fujitsu then anything like a sort of an Ulrich style model. Okay. So there were sort of 
federated teams of yes. I had one myself it was brilliant I really enjoyed it I had my own L&D person my own comms Fantastic. person load yeah. of business partners some people doing disciplinary grievances loved it do what you wanted with who you wanted but it wasn't a very efficient way of working and it was a pretty uh, variable way of working I'm sure what you got was based on who I happened to be in that person. team yeah, yeah. so we needed to implement a version a lot of organisations have done this um, and so that was my task to design our version of it and then implement it create the team around me to lead that implementation. Uh, and we did so within 12 weeks. So we went from a, it was a, a Christmas, 2010-11, and I got offered the job just before Christmas. And, and this was going to be a team where I'd end up with maybe 120, 130 people working for me. Biggest team by some stretch that I've ever had. And, and then and I was, I was told, we'll send you the plan and over Christmas. And, and day by day, I was checking the, even Christmas Day, checking the inbox, thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to see the plan. It'll, and I'm pretty edgy about this. I got it on Boxing Day, and it was the four slides that had been used to describe this activity to us all as a function. So there wasn't a plan. So I had to create that and then, as I say, lead, lead that, that change activity. So the customer service stuff, is it, was that the shared service? Yep. But did it include the business partners and some of the experts? Uh, I suppose I just need to understand the context yes. a little bit. So we had everything in HR except for the pensions team and for the business partners. Right. So we had in there L&D. We had the recruitment and resourcing team. They yeah, had been brought yeah, into yeah. HR. We actually had HR systems as part of that. We had the lean sense and respond team, oh, so Six Sigma. Okay. That was yeah, part yeah, of HR excellent. at the time. Um, we had HR generalists doing project work. We had service desk administration, payroll. Uh, we, so we had the lot. So you had everything except the business partners. Everything except the business partners, yeah. Everything except the business partners. And so you, this, this was uh, successful. So you're, so you're talking about that was the challenge. You get the four slides on Boxing Day, which must yeah. have been delightful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you then had to go around implementing this. So creating a plan, creating a picture. So presumably, this, you're, you, you know, this is something you've identified as a success. So tell us about what you did and, and why you think it was successful. So I think it was, um, the reason it stands out to me as a success is because not only did we say, we're going to do it in 12 weeks, we did. And now that's not to say that after 12 weeks, model done, take the month off. It wasn't don't perfect. It. But no, not at all. But, the, but we took out a significant amount of cost. Yeah. And uh, let's be candid about it. In HR, cost is people. And so there were a number of people that left our organization but we did so in such a way that they in effect self-declare this i was pretty open this this may not now be for everybody if you liked as i did the working in a bespoke way this this might not be for you so yeah. let's do it in a respectful way and we don't want people to feel as though you know being pushed this is a conversation to be had so we did that in a i thought a pretty respectful way we engaged the function and the business so we we made them feel part of the design now yeah. some might always say not enough. It's not the same as it was. I used to have John down the road and now That's it's right. all delivered. Yeah, 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 the future ain't what it used to be. Yeah. Uh, and so there was, a, um, there was a big emphasis on how do we bring the function with us Yeah. Um, and how do we make sure the business understand what we're doing and why we're doing it from their point of view. So not just HR cutting costs. That okay. wasn't the, the name of the game. It was how do we improve our service, become more relevant. So we started to talk to the business in terms they recognised. So HR started to talk in language about our SLAs and our KPIs. We started to introduce dashboards. We introduced different case management. Started to make use of technology that Fantastic. in the business yeah, we yeah. were using to support our customers. So there's a sort of instant credibility there that you were able to talk to the business in terms that they were talking to our customers about. So that started to um, create a better basis for an HR business conversation. 
Okay, sounds great. So let's do the other side of that question. Tell us about something when you look back and go, that was an interesting learning point. You know, it was a mistake, yeah. something that didn't go quite as well. Because again, you know, quite often, certainly early in your careers, if you're going to be someone that's going to make an impact and make a difference, sometimes stuff doesn't come off. And yes. that's as good a learning opportunity as when it does. Yeah, it can be. And um, I think then, more recently, actually, okay. um, I'd, I'd taken... So I probably... Part of the context of this, I stayed too long in the service delivery okay. role. So I stayed in that service delivery role and then was asked to extend that across Europe. Um, and that sounded very exciting. An international role, everybody wants international experience. Um, and I enjoyed that aspect of it, but I stayed too long uh, in service delivery, which put me, I think, um, at a disadvantage when it came back to being a okay. partner to the business. So I was a little bit too far away for two Because months. you were doing two, you were focusing on HR right. rather than yes. building the relationships and impact on business yeah. performance. Yeah, okay. so I, I, was, I was a step removed from how our business was, strategy was evolving. Yeah. I, was, I was an implementer in, in what yeah, I yeah. thought was a pretty important way, but HR focused. So then I took a role um, as a, a business partner um, and it was a point in time where our organization was going through a major change. We were going from a country model to yeah. one single European model. And that meant creating a common sales organization for the very first time across, at the time, 29 countries. Crimes. All of these countries traded under the same name, but might as well have been different organizations, different ways of working, different critical mass, different yeah, portfolio, yeah. everything different. Now, I was the only uh, British member of the leadership team. Okay. for that sales organization and it was a team that had been close-knit had worked together uh, for quite a amount of time very successfully by the way and I was covering for a colleague um, well I stepped into the role if they'd gone on a sabbatical so I was they were sabbatical maybe they'd come back maybe they wouldn't so I was taking that role permanently so there was a sort of sense that they knew they had to have a replacement but they didn't really want their current business partner to leave okay and the relationships I just didn't form strong enough ones in the right way quickly enough, particularly with the head of the, uh, okay. of the, of the sales organization at the time. Extremely charismatic, extremely effective leader. Um, and, and so I, I, didn't, I, I felt I was probably working with the handbrake on. So I was, I was still sort of second-guessing, not really thinking at the right pace, not concentrating on the right topics. Um, and so it took until we sort of had a, a moment. It was actually in Helsinki. Uh, I remember that, a, uh, a, and suddenly I thought, I'm just going to release the handbrake rather than sort of try to affect this. This. And what, so, what was it? Was it you just didn't invest enough time, or did you? Were you too influenced by the person that had been there before, or what do you think it was when you sort yeah. of go back and reflect on it and think about it now? I think there was a confidence aspect because okay. I'd been for so long out of the, yes. uh, okay. the business partner role. I think the fact that I was filling in for somebody that I respected and they now work uh, with me again uh, and and hugely uh, capable business partner. And I I sort of felt that presence there, even though they were extremely supportive about the handover. I sort of felt, how would they be doing it rather than what should I be doing? And then that sense of those relationships with someone that was, and we had the breakthrough and everything subsequently turned out successfully. I should have just got there quicker, but extremely charismatic, very capable leader. Um, and, I, and I just needed to be closer to them and thinking in a, a different way rather than an HR way. I was falling into the trap of thinking about as an HR person rather than as a business leader. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. And again, I think it's an important thing. I mean, I think one of the great issues with HR is it's often in, in the, some of the research we've done recently, it's not just about capability. It is about mindset. It is about mm. confidence and belief and and being a leader, playing that, that leadership role. Um 
Tell me about uh, perhaps um, your view on change and transformation, which you've clearly been involved in a lot in your career. And I suppose it's a, it's a question about the HR profession, really. I mean, do you think HR has got the skills and capabilities to lead change? Should we just be involved and influencers? I'm just interested in your perspective, really, because it's one of the things I think we struggle with, you know, should yes. we be driving this change? You know, it's normal. All change is people related at some yes. way, shape or form. Um, but should we be in the driving seat or should we be on the team and influencing or should we just be passive and help them as it goes along? I, I'm just interested in your take. So I think that HR, if you're going to be involved, why, why would you want to be a, a passive participant in something that's going to affect the way that your organization works and the way that the employees of your organization experience their time with you. How can HR be on the periphery of that? What I think HR needs to do, though, is not be the sort of nominal leader, but not really leading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think HR has to, maybe to your point, Kevin, has to bring um, some additional skills and capabilities and a different mindset when it's approaching some of these change programs so that there is the um, perhaps the, 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 the less tangible, the softer aspects that need attention mm. and often do get it from HR. But HR is also able to keep a close and keen eye on delivery of the business outcomes, the financial metrics. Actually, how do we measure the success of this change mm. when we're considering what our business strategy is? How does this take us closer to that outcome? So that, that type of um, mindset, the, the ability to be sort of strong and authoritative as well as the traditional warm and engaging aspect of HR, I think that balance needs to be better struck. Yeah. Um, and then I think HR could improve the stamina that it has as a function. So okay. we see things through rather than um, a great set of initiatives that are um, uh, launched and, and with great fanfare and, and this sort of fizzle out. I think, I think seeing things through to conclusion and mm. HR not only itself keeping the momentum, but being able to hold the attention of the rest of the leadership team so that the organisation sees that. Uh, uh, Do you think that's just a bit about how we perceive the world or how we're educated? You know, often our education as HR professionals is about input, what we do, what we design, what we deploy, rather than the outcome or the output. And, you know, actually the change process, it doesn't matter how you do it. It's about do we get the right result? Yeah. Have we changed the culture? Have we got the right capability? Are we operating in a different way? Yeah, I think you could be onto something there. And, and this makes me think that um, one of the things that has helped me, I think, in mm. my HR career is that HR hasn't been all that I've done in my career. And, and I think there is a, a lot of advantage to HR professionals, not only early in their career, but mid and later as well, getting experienced yeah. as something other than an HR professional. So firstly, I think it's really important that HR leaders have a broad foundation of HR experience. So, you know, yeah, talking yeah. to people that are joining the, the, the profession, the function now, I always tell our graduates that it's imperative that you see the sort of sleeves up work of disciplinaries and grievances, redundancy consultation, employee relations. You've got to get all of that because at some point, yeah, yeah. when you become a senior HR leader, yeah, at some point it. in the room, someone's got to ask you about HR. So you probably ought to know. Um, but I think that experience outside of HR 
is something that we might not have enough of within the within the discipline. And we're not great at that, are we? I mean, again, you look at people's HR careers, and I've been, you know, when I was at Walmart, I was interviewing and bringing in lots of sort of HR capability. And quite often it was a real, you know, I don't know, did a graduate program, ended up doing an HR yeah. job, did a specialist job, then I did a business partner, da, 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 then I become a... Da, da, da. And it's through HR. Yes. And, and again, if you've got a... A CV where someone went off and did a sales role or an operations role, to be honest, they tended to be more rounded and yep. add more value. Yes. Well, well, not only does it give you a better set of skills, but also a better level of credibility, but you can see it from the other person's point of view. You know, we place in HR a lot, and quite rightly, of emphasis on, on empathy. We want leaders with empathy. Well, how better to develop empathy, empathy than to actually have some time in the shoes of another? So understanding what it's like to experience HR as a recipient, as a manager, as a leader in the business, invaluable. And I'd encourage more people to do it. I agree with you. So uh, we're coming to the end of the first part of our podcast with Jason Fowler from Fujitsu. We'll be back in a couple of moments. Are you looking to reduce risks and operating costs? or increase your agility and capacity. There's more pressure than ever for HR and finance to provide strategic value for the business and for CEOs. At Zealous, our expert team creates software and managed services that handle your entire payroll and HR admin processes. We believe there are two sides to the employee experience, the fundamentals that need to go unnoticed and experiences that employees really care about. And we can help you master both. We're here to make the complex simple freeing you up to focus on your people and achieve your goals. Find out more at zealous.com. So welcome back to HR Futures Podcast. With me today is Jason Fowler from Fujitsu, and we've had a great conversation where we've been looking at what's going on in relation to Fujitsu uh, uh, and some of the challenges. But I want to dig, dig a bit deeper. So Tell me about what keeps you awake at night at the moment, Jason, in terms of your, your role and what you're doing to address that. Right. Okay. So, well, firstly, what keeps me awake at night is a three-month-old daughter. But uh, They're uh, renowned for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so the challenges at work, I am convinced that the success of our organisation will be based on whether we are able to make the transition I talked a little bit about earlier on, which is... How do we create a different mentality um, underpinned by a different set of skills and capabilities? And how do we create a renewed and renewable method of generating those? Yeah. If we don't do that, it's going to be difficult. If other organizations don't do that, it's going to be difficult. When, when you, you look at, um, I, I look at everywhere and think that, we're in the era of total tech. People use the term digital or digital, but it's total tech. There isn't any industry that hasn't been affected, but mostly massively disrupted by technology. Tech is everything. So how do we, as an HR function, respond to that? But actually, how do we, how do we realize and recognize that the half-life of those technology skills is so much shorter than it once yeah, was. Yeah. Of course, the half-life of organizations is so much shorter than right, it once right. was. Um, so if those organizations that grasp the sense that you need to be renewing, you need to shed the skin of that which you were and be able to create, create it anew, and that you can only do this through the people and skills yeah, and capabilities yeah. you've got, 
those are the organisations that I think are going to survive. And it's the HR leaders and the HR functions in those organisations that are going to make sure that that happens or it doesn't. Yeah. And what do you think that, and what is the challenge for you? Is it trying to get the organisation to face up to that reality? Is it about uh, giving them a credible plan about how you make the shift? Is it about getting the right resource in your team to be able to do some of this work? So I, I get the challenge. Yeah. Totally, totally get that. What is it that you think is, well, that, that's going to be cumbersome. That's going to be difficult. There's going to be hurdles. We're going to have yep. to be incredibly brave and courageous to, to make some of this happen. So part of it is because you, you, need to, you need to protect the today and create the tomorrow at the same time. Um, and, and so you end up, we often use that cliche of a burning platform. It's, it's heating up, but it's not yet on fire. And so, so there, is, there is that, is the urgency, uh, uh, what it really needs to be. Uh, part of it is traditionally a lot of organizations say people are the most important asset, they're central to everything we do, but then most of their uh, organizational focus is on the numbers or on the products. I think we're looking now at a, at a, a scenario where our people are all that our organization has and will have. And we should be very optimistic and very proud about that. But therefore, we've got to pay the same level of attention to the people and skills as leaders, as managers, uh, as we would have done in the past to products. Or our, our, we need to look at our business performance through a people lens, not just through a financial lens. And therefore, there is a, a, a transition that the business needs to make in thinking that, of course, as a responsible business leader, I need to place some emphasis on people and I expect my HR function to sort of do most of that for me. I think that we've got to, we've got to move to a point where business leaders, managers recognize the people of all I've got. So I'm yeah, going to make yeah. sure I've got the right skills and the right number. How do, you, how do you work with a senior leadership team to get them to own the agenda? Because again, you know, this is, a, this is about the long-term development, reconfiguration of what the business does and how it operates. And, you know, I know that people are focused on day-to-day performance. Mm-hmm. You know, KPIs are about this month's sales and margin and, you know, all the things that we have to keep an eye on. And what you're talking about is something that's going to take a few years, I would imagine, in terms of, you know, because particularly if you're building your own, it's not quick. You've got yep. to find the raw material and the potential and then find the right development journey for it. So how do you get the leaders to own this agenda? So it's not HR going, you know, I'm championing the transformation of the, the, the people and culture and capabilities, and it's the chief exec and the FD who often just wants to think about how we do it a bit cheaper. Yes, Increasingly pressing problem that is, I think, in 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 the general economy. Yeah, I do too. Uh, now, in my experience, uh, some get it, some get it. Uh, most want to get it, but then uh, are then sort of inundated with the traditional day to day. There's a couple of things that I'd uh, emphasise. That firstly, as nature, bring as much of the external thinking into your organisation as you can. Yeah. However credible you are and your relationships are, there is something. Um, that accentuates that if you're bringing external speakers or external data or external case studies that that give your leaders a sense not only of what it is that you think we should do, but what others have done. Also, not only what has worked, but where others have not been successful and quite how this might have played a part in their not being successful. So bringing some of that outside in thinking, I think HR has a big responsibility to do that. The second part, I think, is it's essential that... HR leaders and I take the time to do this myself are, are spending a lot of time with their business leaders one-to-one, really understanding their 
really understanding their business and their challenges and then seeing their role, i.e. HR's role, as how do I contribute to solving this? And so you start to um, really comprehend quite what our role as a function is in delivering those business outcomes. And then you start to find the common ground with those business leaders. And that becomes a basis for us shared ownership of that problem, rather than it feeling as though you've got the HR business partner or the HR leaders coming along to tell me about the things I ought to be doing uh, for my people. You sort of really foster that sense. When of they know, or when they know at the moment, I can't find enough of these and I'm struggling to deliver these exactly. projects and customers are saying this, you know, that's my reality. And HR's coming along talking about stuff four or five years out. Yeah, you know, yeah got on the problem. Yeah, it's got, it's got to be a blend of the two, isn't it? Okay, so let, let's just sort of carry on from that that point really about sort of technology. And I think you're well placed to talk about this, but, you know, we we read a lot and I know organisations are starting to deploy more and more, you know, you called it total tech, but AI, machine learning, use of algorithms to become more efficient, create more value for customers, to transform their operating model. Uh, and I think we're on the cusp of it. You know, you're beginning to see it, but I think it's going to accelerate. Mm-hmm. So from an HR profession, what do you think we should be doing to get in front of that and help prepare our organisations for, for what's just around the corner? Firstly, HR and technology has not always been a natural bedfellow. And, and HR has got to get over that. HR has to get intimate and comfortable with technology. And I don't and just... Why does it? why does it not... Why does it not feel comfortable? And I agree with you, it doesn't. Yeah, well, I, don't, I wonder if it's because if you, you know, maybe HR is on the spectrum of humanities and, they, <laughs> uh, um, and technology might be on the spectrum of uh, engineering and, uh, uh, and, and more STEM uh, orientated, perhaps. Uh, but whatever it is, we've got to get past it. And this doesn't mean I understand the market-leading um, uh, HR systems that are available <laughs> at the moment. It, it's got to be more than that. It's actually how do you understand... Um, the use of technology in your organization, but also thinking about the employee experience, getting mm. us to a point where employees, as recently as six, seven years ago, the best technology that you experienced was the stuff at work. Now it's the worst. It's the worst. It's and, the consumer stuff. Isn't and, it? and HR are, are a big factor in this. So we, we've got to get better at taking responsibility mm. for how we make use of tech and yep. what tech might lead to. The other thing I think is imperative for HR to do All of the themes that you described there, Kevin, are going to present organizations with a fundamental choice, a decision to take. One is whether they capitalize upon automation and AI uh, to drive cost reduction. And for that means less humans. Or whether organizations see this as an opportunity to create value. So they create value by eliminating the transactional work that requires a human only because we haven't found the technology to do it, and you free up that human capability to do something that's value-adding. HR has to be central to making that case. The economic outlook is, at best, sketchy. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's not highly optimistic. A lot of organizations are hoarding cash on the balance sheet. It's a defensive mood. Um, HR has to be in making the case where where it's relevant and credible to do so. So we ought not to be the function that just says, don't ever worry about cutting costs. You've got to be commercially minded. But if organizations choose to interpret the tech era as a way of eliminating as many humans and cost as they possibly can, there's going to be pretty dire consequences um, for uh, for society, never mind for individual organizations. 
HR's got to play a central role in spotting where value can be created, making that case, and then having the stamina to see that through. Okay, I get that. I think that's absolutely spot on. So uh, let's just have a quick look at uh, the HR profession and its totality. So two questions. The first one is, um, what does HR get wrong? What does it need to do different as a profession, you know, to add more value to organisations, to make more impact, um, and to do some of the work that you've been talking about in your organisation, but in every organisation? Yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd sum it up when um, I often hear HR leaders talk about it's our role to ask the difficult questions. Well, that's only a bit of the role. HR, I think, for too long has felt that its, it's role is to, to provoke, to ask those questions, to be the conscience in the room. Yeah, it is. It is. But that's only a bit of it. HR also has to be the function that then acts. So you ask the difficult question, but then you're able to act. And then you act with energy and you act with a real commercial mindset and you see it through. That stamina that mm. I mentioned before, you've got the ability to see that through and to deliver business outcomes, hard outcomes, as well as the um, very valuable but intangible outcomes that we're perhaps more yeah. comfortable with measuring. And what do we need to do that? I do think it comes back to that point about HR professionals having more than HR experience. Yeah. Doesn't mean you can't be one of those HR leaders with yeah. only HR experience. But And it doesn't also mean you've got to take a job that's not HR. There are in very, very many ways you can get that experience. You can get that through uh, assignments. You can get that through secondments. I think you could get that through, I'm talking to some other organizations at the moment about how we might do an exchange of right, our okay. HR professionals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I think that could be a way of yeah, yeah. just creating that, that different and diverse nice. experience. But you get those different foundations, those different perspectives. That, I think, will start to, you know, you'd start to see HR professionals emerging. I think HR professionals should be business leaders who just happen to have a focus and emphasis on people capability rather than the HR leader that's in the room because we've got to have one there. No, no. Okay. I, I totally agree. So, say a young person comes to see you and, I don't know, they've joined your organisation as a graduate. They've done a couple of years' work experience here, there and everywhere. And they come to you and go, I'm thinking about focusing on HR. Mm. What do you say to them? And yeah, I'll just, just leave it there. What do you say to them? Right. So firstly, I'd say it would be a brilliant, it's a brilliant decision. <laughs> uh, and it's not one that somebody actually had said to me when I joined Fujitsu, should we move your role into the HR? I said, no, no, I don't, I don't see HR as being the place for me. And I was wrong. It's a fantastic career to have. Um, but I would, I would say two other things. One is it goes so quickly. Uh, and, and I and I always uh, worried about the day when I would start saying that to graduates because I remember people saying that to me and thinking, you know, I'll, I'll decide how quickly things go for me. But it, it goes at a rate of knots. Um, and, and therefore, the most important thing is to harbour and gain a breadth and depth of experience that builds your confidence, allows you then to be able to build diverse relationships with different people, allows you to be able to influence, focus on delivering outcomes. Focusing on delivering value, not focused on the transaction, on the process. Get a keen eye on why are we doing this? Why am I doing this? When it's done, why will it be beneficial? Mm. I mean, one of the things I think about HR is I do think the thing about getting line experience is important and owning outcomes. I also think a bit of, you know, the opportunity, whether internally or externally, to play a consultancy role. So mm. diagnosing problems, coming up with solutions, trying to see them through I think is a, is a skill set that we need to develop with an HR practitioners. But uh, 
Okay, so final question. Um, and this is about you, Jason. So this is where right. people start to struggle. Normally they're brilliant at all work-related <laughs> stuff. And this is just tell us a bit about you know yourself and your life, what you do outside of work, what your passions are, what... What inspires you? What you know? What do you love doing? Uh, I mean, obviously, you mentioned you've got a three-year-old daughter and a, a three-month-year-old one. So sleep and and keeping an eye on them, I'm sure, is quite high on the list. Yes. But what else yes. is there? Yeah. Apart, well, apart from the Elsa dresses, a uh, um, so the things that um, Manchester City has been uh, oh. a passion of mine. I've had a season ticket for 28, 29 years. Well, so, you're having a good time, aren't you? Well, I am now. I, I wasn't at the uh, for the first. Uh, you know, 20, 23 of those years. Um, uh, and so I was there when we were in the second division yeah, 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 and, yeah. Um, and, and more of a joke than we were a, uh, a huge club. So that that's a big passion. I go there with my dad and uh, my granddad used to play for City. So there's a, oh, a, a family association there. Would yeah. I know him? No, he was, uh, he, he, he travelled as 12th man. They didn't have subs oh, in right. those days. and um, But he was at the, t- at the club at the same time as people like Bert Troutman, you know. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, the goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, and then I... Um, I took up running actually about a year ago. Um, it was while I was in Japan. And I was running with. A had you, had you done course. running before? Well, I played school? a lot of football when okay. I was younger, and I boxed quite a bit when I was younger Crumbs. as well. Um, but I never enjoyed running. I used to see it was pointless. Um, and and people say I like to think when I'm out running, and I think well I don't understand that because when I start running, all I think about is I wish this was over. Uh, but I started to do that, and I found it really valuable in it's a level of, of fitness you need to get to isn't there I think there is yeah, yeah. I, but it w- once you know, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm, I think I'm moderately fit now but it it just um, it helps deal with uh, stress it helps uh, manage your priorities it gives you time and space to yeah. think about really where you should be putting your time so so that I found pretty useful over the past year or so as well and a deal race do you do 10k's and yeah I've done, done a few 10k's a few park runs and uh, I'm doing my first half marathon uh, in March actually mm. so so that's on the horizon and what are you aiming to do you got a time in mind so I, I, you, I, I bet you have I do have a time in mind so, so I'd like to I'd like to do uh, sub 140 and ideally Decent. I'd like to do 130 but my chances of that I don't think are, I'll yeah. need some of those um, fancy new Nike shoes one I took yeah yeah them on. Yeah, 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 and I mean a marathon at some point. Do you think? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, um, probably, but uh, uh, let's see how the yeah, half goes. Yeah, first. absolutely. Yeah. And and what about I don't know uh, theatre, literature? Do you get any time for any of so that stuff? I used to read. I used to read all the time. It's been a passion of mine. And actually, with uh, with two young daughters, yeah. I now read more than ever. The problem is, it's things like the tiger who came to tea and uh, and, and the adventures of Mog. So yeah, yeah. Uh, less than I used to, but yeah, reading. I, I, I like to do a lot of that and hiking in the Lake District. We got married nice. in the Lake District. Uh, it's not very far from where I live in Manchester, so um, I like to be outdoors as much. It's as great, except it's damp, isn't it? Whenever I go up there, it's just you know. It, whenever you see the Lake District, you look at it and think nothing can be this green without a lot of rain. Yeah. But it's a fantastic part of the world. It is. Thank you for the for the spending the time with us. I think it's been a fantastic podcast. I think there's been lots of insight about uh, HR, what you've done at Fujitsu, and potentially what other HR professionals should be thinking about in relation to developing themselves. So thank you. Thanks for inviting me.